I love working in tech because... Innovation happens every day and this is defining the future. What surprises me about the startup world is... That uh, things are so dynamic and different and unpredictable. The four-day working week is... Wonderful, but it's hard to achieve. The idea of basic income is... I think it's great. I'm a social person, uh, so great. The leader I would like to take to dinner is... I would like to go to dinner with um, Pat Gelsinger, our um, ex-CEO and uh, currently CEO of Intel. I get inspiration from... I get inspiration from my sister. Uh, she's uh, seven years older than me, but I've learned so much from her and I keep learning every day, so I admire her. Hmm. I hope that she will be watching us. <laughs> this is really kind. My mission is to... To help make the world a better place. Thank you very much, Liana. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in again in the Recursive Podcast. I am very delighted today because uh, I have a guest that uh, I have been admiring so far from the distance, and it's my first time when I'm going to speak to her in person. Diana Stefanova is the Vice President, Regional Community Strategy of the biggest IT company here in Bulgaria called VMware. She has a very solid background in finance, but also expertise in strategic and business development, both for startups and global companies. She is also a partner in the venture capital fund Brightcap Ventures and has supported and mentored a lot of startup companies in the region and beyond. As a female leader, Diana is a vocal supporter of gender equality in the tech world. Diana, it's my pleasure to have you here. Hello. Hello. Great to be here. My first question will bring you a bit uh, back in, in time when you were just starting your career. I read in an interview that technology chose you, you chose finance. And um, in this sense, I wanted to, to ask you, how did uh, this fate happen to you? And uh, do you think that in a way, your background in finance and your background in, in math helps you now be a better leader in the technology sector? Absolutely. I, I think uh, uh, ever since I was uh, little, I um, was really good at math. And I often talk about this uh, technology chose me, I chose finance, because I think it could possibly help young girls make the right choices at an early age. Uh, the reality is that uh, back in the times, um, engineering jobs were not that well established here in Bulgaria, and there were not many women in engineering. So a logical um, thing for me was after graduating from the Sofia Math School to pursue a career in finance, and banking was booming at the time. So uh, I really pursued that path, and um, I have to say I was really good at finance. I'm good at numbers, so anyone that's good at numbers, of course, will be good at finance. Uh, but um, the reality is, is that uh, when I started my career in uh, US, I um, started in technology startups. And I really deep dived into the technology field from the first days of my career. So while I achieved uh, good development uh, and career levels and opportunities uh, in the finance field, soon, uh, that happened when I came back uh, from US to Bulgaria, 
I started uh, looking towards more strategic roles and leadership roles, and at some point the general management role. So, um, yes, the math and finance has helped me develop to where I am today. Uh, and uh, I think uh, um, I could have been just as good in the engineering field as well. Uh, and I encourage many girls today considering different careers to drop the stereotypes of thinking, oh, is engineering or more hardcore jobs uh, more good for young girls or mm -hmm. is it better to pursue careers in other more communications or PR or other areas uh, that might be perceived as being better for girls? Because you need all of those qualities to, uh, to be successful in any job. So just because you're good in communication doesn't mean that you cannot be an extremely good uh, engineering leader that is supposed to communicate and present and uh, ultimately uh, combine all of those great qualities to be successful. Already from your answer, I have so many aspects that I would like you know, to dive deep into. Um, maybe let's start with, uh, with the topic of women because you uh, I see, you know, your emotion when you when you speak about, and I see that you are a very strong supporter also of women in technology, but also women on their car uh, path to to career. Um, I'm going to start with this question: Did leadership um, chose you as well, or was it something that you anticipated at some point? And when did this change or this career path uh, became something thinkable for you? Uh, great question. Um, I first will start with differentiating between management and leadership. And we often talk about this, like early in our careers, we learn to be great managers. And um, leadership is something that you could um, uh, develop from very young age, uh, because leaders are those that can inspire, uh, they can lead, they can have people follow and believe. Uh, and um, many people have natural leadership skills, uh, and and this is this is really easy to build. I mean, you can be a leader in an individual contributor role, right, professional role, and you could be a leader as a manager. But being a leader is something uh, really important for us to be successful in any type of business. Um, however, leadership skills you can develop as well. Uh, particularly for me, um, early in my career, I was uh, in US and very fast uh, my career developed and I was given an opportunity to be a manager. And I have to, I had to learn on the job, really. Um, with the years of experience, I started uh, gaining those more people-oriented leadership type of uh, skills and focusing on those and really building on the top of the managerial skills. Mm -hmm. um, so um, am I a good leader today? That's something for everybody else to say, uh, but it's definitely something that I think is extremely important for each business. I can imagine that um, in our audience, there are you know, younger girls who might have the opportunity to become a leader or might have the opportunity to step into a managerial role where they're supposed to be leaders. And uh, maybe they have some doubts 
I just wanted you maybe to remember when you were given this opportunity, what were your first, you know, worries or maybe doubts that you had and how did you tackle them? How did you manage them internally? What so did you tell yourself? We always have doubts when we're giving a new opportunity, especially women. We, we really want to be perfect and in everything that we do. So unless we've had hundreds of years of experience in one area, we feel we probably are not ready. Uh, of course, I'm exaggerating here, but anyways, we always have doubts. What's important is to believe in yourself. I've learned to believe in myself early in my career because I was able to demonstrate results. Mm -hmm. So once you start demonstrating results, you kind of say, okay, if I can do this, I can do more. And just give yourself a chance to achieve more and more, uh, stretch yourself, uh, set yourself ambitious goals. And I think uh, if it doesn't work out, if something goes wrong, that's okay. We learn from our mistakes. We go back, we revisit, and we continue. For all of those girls that might have some doubts, as I said, number one, believe in yourself and try things. Even if things don't work out, you know, experiment, because through experimentation, people learn and they develop and, and progress. So I remember one of the biggest uh, uh, mistakes, I would say mistakes I've made early in, in my managerial job was to kind of micromanage a little bit. And this is what I tell all of the managers, like just to become managers uh, in, in the organization. And I give them example with myself. One of the things that we tend to do when we just get promoted to a manager is to micromanage because we are usually subject matter experts in the area that we have been working on. We know everything that and how it needs to be done, right? Uh, we are not detached because we, we, we grow up, right? And um, often we just expect things to be done our way. Uh, so it takes a little bit of adjustment to let go. And that's probably one of the first exams for managers that are uh, new managers. Uh, just let go and let people make mistakes and just monitor from a distance and course correct when uh, that's necessary. So Diana, now you're in the position where you're also the one promoting the next generation of leaders and a generation of managers. You can teach them from giving example, you can also mentor them. What qualities you would be looking at uh, when you're promoting the next leaders, for example, in your organization, especially in, in women? How do you recognize them? So whether women or not, I guess we look for the same type of uh, qualities uh, anyways. So definitely we are not going to be looking um, for somebody that knows everything, right? Because Every, all the information is available, so mm -hmm. people can learn as long, as long as they're eager to learn, as long as they would like to experiment, try new things, um, and work in a very complex environment, because things are not simple. So people need to try new things and be, um, uh, not be afraid to go into the unknown. So those are the type of qualities that I would definitely value uh, big time when uh, deciding on who to attract to our team or who to promote. I was thinking also something else because of your background in, in finance and math. Um, maybe this is my prejudice, but um, I imagine, you know, uh, people with a mindset like, like yours going 
or being able to go into details, you know, seeing, you know, the, the little mistakes, maybe being a bit too pedantic. I'm sorry if uh, probably I'm totally wrong, but this is my, you know, prejudice. I'm just speaking out loud. How do you develop from this position to um, a leadership position where as a leader, you're supposed to have the big picture, to see the big picture, to anticipate in a way the future, have the vision and communicate it also to, to others, to those you're leading. So definitely, I think going into the detail is something that I really um, was good at in, early in my career. Uh, over the years, uh, with experimenting with different roles, I had to detach from the details. And, and that's why I gave you the example of uh, the first several months of my managerial uh, experience where I really was into the details. And that detachment started happening and I started learning how to monitor things. And with that, I started seeing the big picture. Mm -hmm. And when we speak about the big picture, depending on what level you are, your big picture is different. Like your First line manager, you see the big picture of your team. You're um, a director, you start seeing a whole de de department. You're moving towards the general management, you see multiple functions. And then there's no way you can go in all of the details. But you need to have the ability to pick the right context, switch context, actually, uh, between meetings. I mean, you'll be surprised uh, a single day of mine, uh, every single meeting is uh, a different context, right? And uh, switch context and be able to understand what people are saying while not having all of the details. Ask for the details when that's necessary. And often you start um, operating b uh, with high-level data not by the what exactly has happened, the activity that happened, but show me the data, show me the results. Okay, so percentage, like for example, if we're talking about HR, attrition rates, termination rates. So you start looking the, at the big picture rather than who exactly did, did leave. And sometimes you need to ask if it's a key talent that, uh, and, or somebody that is really critical for the business, of course, you need to go into the detail and go talk to these people and even convince them if possible to stay. However, in that example, because we're speaking about attrition now, but understanding the big picture, looking at the data that gives you the insights of the business is what gives you an opportunity to elevate. So I think that balance between looking at the big picture and deep diving, when, deep diving when necessary into the details is something you develop over time. In addition to that, so you mentioned that you're switching context and you're switching context not only within the organization of VMware, but you're switching context also um, in your role as a venture partner at Brightcap Ventures. And both of your positions are uh, pretty much uh, determined by the mega trends that we see now in digital transformation and in, in, in innovation. So in your role, you're in a way expected to anticipate the future, right? Where are we going to go to and uh, where is it worth to invest? Where is it uh, also, both from corporate point of view, but also uh, from a venture capital point of view? How do you perform this role? What is your secret? Well, I don't know whether there's a secret, but definitely I think in both of my roles, we are looking towards the future. We're making uh, decisions on where to invest, uh, looking at VMware, uh, which area to invest in, uh, what's the future, is it IoT, is it blockchain, um, and um, cryptocurrency, 
that's not our business, of course, at VMware, but I'm just giving trends, uh, quantum computing or anything uh, that, that, that's coming our way. So monitoring what's happening on the market is extremely important in both of, uh, uh, of uh, the jobs that they have. And, and the reality is that um, being part of such a big organization like VMware, you have a lot of insights, like you have a lot of smart people that you work with. So through discussions and uh, gathering different points of view, we learn a lot. So it's not just reading what's in, in uh, the media or what's in the research, uh, but also talking among ourselves. So that that's extremely valuable. Working with smart people is extremely valuable because uh, we live and breathe uh, all of those innovations and digital transformation that you're talking about. And then transferring that to uh, the investment world, that same thing is happening, although at a bigger scale, because while uh, at VMware we might be focusing on the digital transformation on the cloud field, here we are talking about, you know, different consumer businesses and everything else. And that's what makes it interesting and challenging because you sometimes go out of the uh, context that you operate in every day and look for other things that could impact the way we think uh, innovatively, creatively in the core business uh, at VMware as, well, as well. So I think uh, uh, this is valuable experience and as leaders, we need to understand all sides of the business. I'm not saying I understand all sides of the business, but uh, when we see a business on the startup uh, side of things that looks compelling, interesting, then we definitely that triggers our interest and we start reading about it, learning more about it. And even attracting experts. Sometimes we need to talk to people that we know from our network and get some additional insights. And that's why we have a, a good advisory board of experts in different fields that uh, could help us with that as well. So I, I think uh, switching context is a must in everything we do. So we need to learn to, to, to kind of uh, be um, uh, successful uh, despite the complex environment we operate in. Uh, however, uh, nevertheless, uh, I think uh, sometimes go deep diving into the details and understanding certain contexts, doing the research yourself is uh, something very valuable in everything that you do. Mm -hmm. I believe that, uh, you know, predicting the future in a way has been made even more difficult, especially with the, you know, the, the events of the past year. Uh, and I'm speaking here about the pandemics. Um, for a couple of months, I think we were all uh, unsure of how this is going to affect us um, both in our everyday life, but also from an economic point of view. And here I can, you know, imagine in a way the discussions also in a company like, like VMware, which you know, being part of this uh, digital transformation and uh, also being in the center of how are we going to merge all these people who have been going to the office every day now to a totally new and new environment um, has been very interesting and, and, and exciting. And <laughs> how was it actually from, from your point of view? I mean, I know that um, you're also responsible for the topic of um, future of work. So, yep. That's yeah. very near and dear to my heart, and I operate in uh, with uh, that focus uh, probably over a year now. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing I argue is that we're still in an unknown situation, unfortunately, and uh, we hope things are going to end soon or develop positively, but we don't know. 
So um, in terms of future work, that is really a new, uh, like it showed how fast the businesses were able to adapt to this new environment, which is something um, technology was able to help and support. Um, specifically VMware, uh, we offer this uh, anyway workforce solutions. So, uh, and we all use those uh, internally. So, uh, each one of us was uh, able to switch to remote working overnight. Just take your laptop, go home, and everything was uh, well established. And I'm very proud that uh, our productivity was not hurt at all. In fact, uh, in the first several months, our productivity was even. Uh, more, at least 20-30%, there were some analysis that were being done than what it was before. Because we stopped uh, commuting, uh, we, uh, um, you know, we had time for the family, but also sometimes you if you have to resolve something in the evening and take some time during the day to, to spend time with family, that balance actually worked very well. Now, there's some disadvantages, of course, because we are social human beings and we would like to connect with people, see people. So I do think that um, the future, when we speak about future work, is more hybrid. Mm -hmm. And um, we at VMware are going to give our employees choice and flexibility to decide where and how they would like to work. Um, because technology obviously offers us uh, the, the freedom to work from anywhere. Uh, you uh, can, and now many people are deciding, do they want to go to the office two, three days a week uh, in the future after the pandemic? Or um, do they want to be completely remotely working? Or uh, do they want to be in the office all the time? We are transforming our offices towards the so-called collaboration hubs. Mm -hmm. So really the entire design of the office will be around collaboration. So you go to the office to collaborate, less to do individual work because you can do individual work from anywhere. But when it comes to collaboration, you need to have the settings. And in the past, we only had conference rooms, but now we are redesigning even the working station. So they are kind of clubbed together with a single monitor. So you see those uh, new uh, ways of uh, new designs um, everywhere throughout the office. The good news is that uh, part of our office, you, you probably know that we moved to a new office last year in February and the pandemic hit us in March. Uh, so we were able to enjoy um, the, the office for a month, which was nice, but not enough. Um, we had two, three floors that were not finished. So because of the pandemic, we did the complete redesign. So we have the last phase of our office was designed with collaboration first, uh, in mind and uh, we'll get test to test that and how it works. We also already have some teams that volunteered to have flexible working, not have a signed seat, but go and sit anywhere depending on the type of work that you would like to do that uh, day. Uh, so we'll see how that works. We'll gather some input and maybe uh, uh, try to uh, redesign some the rest of our offices if that makes sense, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so. It's interesting times. Uh, and the good news is that with this new wave, the companies are going to go where talent is. That will give everybody more opportunities. Uh, we are not going to be required to hire only in places where we have sites, offices, 
or collaboration hubs, as per the new ter uh, terminology, we can hire anywhere. And that will give people more opportunities to develop, step up, access to um, jobs that they probably didn't have before because they were operating from a country where that specific um, um, career opportunity did not exist. So I think it gives huge opportunities to the business to go and follow the best talent in the world. It gives uh, great opportunities to the workforce to access jobs that might have not been available before. In this sense, are there new opportunities also opening up for uh, Sofia as an innovation hub? I mean, so far we have built this wonderful image as uh, you know, a very productive outsourcing destination. And I think um, in a way the next logical step and the next logical stage would be for us, you know, to move a bit more towards an innovation hub. But we cannot be an innovation hub without attracting the right talent. As you mentioned, somehow, you know, investments and uh, opportunities, they follow the people. They follow talent. So I think we, we absolutely need to uh, retain our talent and develop our talent. This is a must for us to be successful. Um, from any side of the business, right? So we do need to develop and attract and retain our talent. Now, having said that, I think in the past, um, many of the businesses were focusing more on the outsourcing side of the uh, business. Then you need people, heads to be located in, into that country that, uh, that uh, the investment is happening towards. Now, if you're innovation hub, you could have strong expertise residing in that hub, but you can have talent everywhere. So we are starting to experiment with this actually at VMware because we think that uh, we have managed to develop as an innovation hub for VMware over the years with very, very solid expertise in the cloud space. So uh, now we're starting to experiment with hiring people from anywhere uh, close by where the expertise and the hub approach is within uh, VMware Bulgaria, but the talent could be anywhere. So one easy reach is to have to hire people from all over Bulgaria, right? They don't have to come to Sofia to be part of the innovation that's happening within uh, VMware Bulgaria. But now we're even expanding that further and starting to hire people from other countries, from Poland, from Macedonia, from Russia. And we are not expecting them necessarily to relocate unless they want to. And while this is not creating those jobs are not new jobs for Bulgaria, right? But as long as the expertise and the core leadership and um, the innovation happens at the hub, I'm not worried that having people anywhere because we do need to follow the trend to hire people anywhere. And if you're just as passionate about innovation as we are, hit subscribe for the Recursive Podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. We're everywhere. Do you see that also uh, a thinkable way for startups? We know that, and you've been also to the Silicon Valley, you have this experience. I mean, you've seen innovation happening in different sizes of organizations. And in a startup, we often see this, or we imagine it like a hackathon, you know, people working till late together, having pizza, drinking beer, something that wasn't really possible during the pandemics. 
Do you see this trend of working from anywhere, hiring from anywhere as a trend? I also for startups? I absolutely do. I, obviously, it's always easy to sit in one room. And uh, especially if you're a startup, small company, you get things done very fast. The reality is that at some point you, you get larger and larger and you cannot sit in a single room anymore. And sometimes you cannot find the right talent in that single room or country or city, right? So if we want to attract top world talent, even in the startups, we need to start thinking of being very agile and working from anywhere. In fact, I, I um, support one of uh, the startups from um, our portfolio at Brightcap, which is called Scaleflex. So this is how they've been designed. They operate from um, something like 10 different countries and they have uh, multiple nationalities and they get together on a regular basis in a single room, but um, everybody works from different places. So they, they are less than 30 people and they have people in uh, Asia, uh, Vietnam, Singapore. Uh, they have people in Bulgaria, in Ukraine, uh, Egypt, uh, and uh, Munich, Germany, Munich and yeah. France. Uh, so I, I probably will miss a few, yeah. but anyway, they've been extremely successful and this is how they started. And they follow the talent and they're proving that that works for a startup quite well. Um, and yes, there are certain things that you need to embed into the process of operation, like in how people connect, how people operate, uh, what's the touch points. There always need to be the, the regular touch points because otherwise people get disconnected. So there's a special way of managing distributed teams that need to be implemented. But once you get into that habit, things work and they have proven to work. That's very encouraging. Uh, this is also in a way that uh, I see our own organization being at the, at the recursive. I think in the, in the beginning, we were already equipped technologically for working from anywhere. And we have given giving, have been giving ourselves this opportunity to sit uh, whatever we feel comfortable and still, when we speak about processes and uh, when we speak also about leadership, there is a lot to think about uh, how do you lead uh, an organization, organization which is distributed and how do you design processes so that they are applicable in this way. Um, I find it's very interesting that it's not only a technological aspect of uh, distributed work. There is of so course. much more to that. Of course. Uh, not, uh, technology is key. For the mm. success, though, I have to say, yeah. uh, because uh, sometimes even little uh, brainstorming boards that are uh, you can do uh, online can improve productivity. So technology is extremely important. Um, however, I think processes and uh, managerial style, uh, styles and practices practices are extremely important as well. Mm. So touch points, so maybe, maybe da daily touch points, um, practices like, can we always be on camera so we can see each other, right? Because sometimes you wake up in the morning or it's late at night, um, uh, you don't want to be shown on camera. Uh, but uh, as long as it's within working hours, I think it's okay to be on camera uh, because um, this is how you make things more personable. But this is just a practice in terms of leadership, I think, so, so let's start with management first. Management have regular touch points. 
have different ways of connecting multiple times, either every day or every week, whatever the business requires, right? Manage people based on results, not so much on how many hours did they spend on something. So, and that's a good practice anyway. So whether it's distributed or not, like focus on the results and make sure that you kind of monitor how stretched people are. So uh, you want always want them to be a little stretched and be a little outside of the comfort zone because if they're too much into the comfort zone, they, uh, zone, they get bored. So a little stretching is something that the leader needs to uh, find a way to implement despite the distributed environment, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and, and I have to admit that's much harder when you don't see the people every day. I have to admit that. But uh, then more conversations, discussions, uh, topics, and uh, topics to kind of deep dive to, uh, towards. The other difficult part is how do, I mean, sometimes people might feel uncomfortable with something, but not, not be willing to say that. And into a more close conversation, the body language or everything else, uh, you're still able to pick signs and, and understand that something is wrong and find ways to resolve it. Now, with the camera, I have to admit that's harder, right? So we need to compensate with more conversation and openness. Uh, and um, I think red, uh, the hybrid, so I'll go to the hybrid part, regular touch points uh, uh, would be required face to face uh, because I think this is how we'll start balancing between uh, the the really detached uh, um, Zoom, mm. uh, and uh, we call that Zoomification. Zoomification. <laughs> uh, and and then uh, of course uh, the the personable face-to-face uh, co -face conversation. Mm -hmm. So that balance is probably the future. Mm -hmm. uh, completely detached might be a little hard. Even in the ScaleFlex example, uh, what they're doing is they do have regular, whether it's quarterly or sometimes monthly. Uh, touch points where everybody gets together and and they spend a week or two working together. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be required for a successful setup. There is also, because you, you mentioned um, that uh, in this zoomificated way of working, we're losing, you know, this sometimes this personable uh, touch in the conversations. And uh, it's very interesting because yesterday I met uh, Michel Stefanov, I, know that uh, you know him too and we were speaking about trust and uh, how more much more challenging it is for managers and also for um, for leaders um, in this uh, remote and distributed way of working to not only establish trust but also to get a feeling is there trust in my organization yeah I personally find it also very difficult maybe you can also give me uh, a tip of how to deal with that sometimes i feel like i don't have enough empathy for uh for everyone in the organization i don't give them enough attention and this is how i'm kind of you know in doubt that maybe the trust you know is not there um do you get this feeling sometimes too so um it is definitely difficult to develop trust uh, mm -hmm. in an environment when you don't have uh, direct interaction. I mean, even with direct interaction, developing trust takes years, right? So you need to be together in good and bad and support each other. And this is how trust is developed. Um, I'm extremely fortunate that I've been 
able to work with many of my colleagues for many years and I've been able to develop that trust. So even in a situation where there's remote working, um, we can quickly uh, touch base on the phone and even without the face video uh, uh, conversation, we can resolve things because we can speak directly we can, um, you know, make a compromise when we have to, mm. to support each other and uh, make the right decisions for the organization. Um, I do have people that started working with me, for me, um, during the pandemic. And uh, I, however, I talk to them on video every day. And I remember it was probably a couple of months ago when we saw each other in the office for uh, some face-to-face -face, uh, conversation. That person said, Actually, that's the uh, since the interview, that's the first time I see you in person. And I didn't even realize that's the case because for me, that person has worked for me like for over years and, and, and the trust was there. So mm. I was surprised because that person never let me down through that year. Every time I, I needed something, I, even a single email was enough to get that person going and get them to deliver. So... I was, it's just a good example that sometimes even without the face-to-face -face conversation, when we are in it together and when we work and deliver and support each other, that trust is also um, being developed. Is it easy? No, but obviously it's possible. So again, I will go back to, we need to go back to the hybrid way of working because it's impossible to do that with everybody. Obviously, people are different. Mm. And some people are more introvert. Others are more extrovert. And, 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 and with certain people, you need to have different style. You probably need to have a little bit more face-to-face -to, -face to get them to open up. With other people, just a single email might be sufficient. Mm. So um, I think we need to be flexible in the way we work and operate for us to be successful in the future. I also see a leader who is uh, who has learned, you know, to to trust um, those in the organization, and I think uh, this is probably the start of how do you establish that in in, in a company in a in a in an organization. But this is my interpretation now when I speak to you. Um, I wanted to also to bring you back to another aspect of your life. Um, I believe it's uh, maybe something that, um, uh, in a way, left a mark on your character, on your personality, and this is the time when uh, you were in the States. Um, from my personal experience, I know that being a migrant uh, has a very transformative effect on someone's personality. How was it for you? How long did you spend uh, abroad, living abroad? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's uh, uh, that's part of my life and my family's life. Uh, we joke uh, often that uh, uh, we move very often, uh, sometimes even too often, from country to country or from uh, house to house, and 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 we have friends everywhere. Um, after I graduated from university, I, me and my husband, we. Uh, were given the opportunity to go and work in U.S. And we spent uh, almost seven years in U.S. 
which was a, a huge transformative experience, as you suggested. Uh, we started really, that was early in our career, so we had to start really, really um, from, um, from entry level and prove ourselves, right? I'm extremely happy that for those years I was able to not only prove myself, but uh, quickly get the managerial roles and get to leadership roles uh, in the finance fields of the two startups that I worked for. Um, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot professionally, which I was eager to come and, and transfer here in Bulgaria because I, I felt that I can give a lot. Uh, and I learned a lot of, uh, as a person because uh, culturally having to adapt to a whole new um, uh, environment uh, was not an easy thing, right? And it, I was uh, at that age, uh, I was 23 at that time, mm -hmm. and um, it was not easy. Uh, no one uh, says things, good things uh, happen easily, right? It was actually very difficult, uh, but that developed us, uh, both me and my husband, the people that we are today, really people that uh, um, are not afraid of uh, difficulties, of problems, uh, and focus on solving those and finding the right solutions. Um, not afraid to take risks as well and uh, be able to adapt. Adaptability is probably one of um, the, the qualities that I talk to my daughters about. I, I tell them one of the probably the best qualities in today's world is to <coughs> quickly adapt uh, because the world is changing. Look what happened with the pandemic. Look what happened with everything else. So unless we easily adapt, we'll probably will stagger and uh, be um, have a difficult time at least at the minimum. Uh, so um, coming back uh, from US, which was my first uh, 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 kind of longer term period abroad uh, outside of Bulgaria. Um, I think I've learned uh, to adapt and uh, to think differently because uh, you always learn um, when you deep dive into a different envir environment, how people live. Like uh, they were, they're more positive, more open-minded, uh, risk takers. I think Americans are risk takers, they're entrepreneurs. They're willing to, you know, think big. And, and grab every opportunity that uh, that goes uh, in front of them. And uh, sometimes Bulgarians, we're a little bit kind of um, um, more um, relaxed, if you wish, or sometimes even we don't believe in ourselves too much. And we should, because every single Bulgarian that I've seen abroad, whether it was a, a high-level leader, engineer, technology leader, or uh, even um, um, somebody that's uh, a construction worker, mm. they have been successful in their field. They have established themselves because we're hardworking, there's a lot of smart people, and uh, put into the right environment, we tend to succeed. So um, those learnings I brought back with me here in Bulgaria, both professionally and personally, I think, uh, understanding the cultural aspects of working with Americas and, and not just Americas because being in America you will learn to work with the whole world because you, you work with so many foreigners there uh, actually has helped me be successful in a multinational company like VMware mm -hmm. uh, because you have to 
uh, apply different styles despite uh, uh, despite uh, the, like uh, the, the different environments uh, that you uh, dive into. So um, that's probably some of the learning I brought back with me. Um, I learned to be positive uh, from a personal aspect. I remember some of uh, my first returns here to Bulgaria uh, and oh, I like first day after I come back from US and that was not my permanent return, but one of the vacations. And me and my dad, we go into a cafe and I enter the cafe I say, in Bulgarian, of course. Hello, good morning, how are you? <laughs> and I, I remember people like the, the bartender looking at me and it's like, what's wrong with that? And then I turn to my dad and say, What's wrong with did I <laughs> did, did I say anything wrong? He said, the way you greeted her was very, very like personable, just like you know her. So she wasn't sure how to react to that. So those type of things, obviously, it took me one uh, weird uh, um, look at uh, from her to me to adapt again back to uh, the Bulgarian style. However, I think they stayed with me. So you apply them uh, uh, appropriately as needed. Mm. Well, I remember in my case as well, when I moved back three years ago, in a way I was uh, reintegrating myself back to Bulgaria because I, I spent like 11 years in Vienna. And although I think the cultural difference is smaller than between, you know, Bulgaria and the States, mm. um, than in, in my case between Austria and, and Bulgaria, I was still, you know, feeling myself um, like I don't really belong here yet. I mean, I speak the language, I know some of the people, I do know the traditions, but I was still feeling totally out of place. Um, this is kind of, you know, a funny aspect that, uh, that you have in, in the beginning when you move back. And I think another thing that uh, struck me is uh, when I announced my decision that I would like, you know, to, to move back, the reaction was similar, you know, to the... A uh, woman in the cafe, they looked at me and, and it was wrong with her. Like, are you crazy? Was it like that for you as well? Yes, uh, not with my family. My family was very supportive and they said, uh, you're uh, smart enough, uh, you and your husband, to make the right choices here. So, and of course, uh, we'll be more than happy to have you home close to us. But uh, in terms of whether that's the right thing professionally uh, and personally, will let you make the decision. So my family was very supportive. Um, but I did have a lot of friends, uh, or, or not even close friends, but like more people that I know, mm -hmm. they would look at me and said, okay, she probably failed. Uh, uh, and, and that's why she's coming back. Or maybe she became criminal. I mean, uh, maybe, <laughs> well, maybe not that much. But, <laughs> but this is something also that I heard at some point. Yeah, so, so there was this debate, if, if you're coming back, maybe you failed. And for me, it was important that we come back because we succeeded. Uh, and I think um, we reached, of course, we could have developed even further. That was like 2004 when I came back, uh, still early in my career, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, uh, at, at high levels. And we felt that that was just before uh, Bulgaria went into EU, like become mm -hmm. part of uh, EU, and that opened a lot of opportunities. Uh, my husband started the business into in, uh, investment in real estate and construction, uh, uh, architecture, and then me myself, I started with uh, the company, uh, uh, one of the 
first companies in the IT industry science, which we later sold to VMware. Those type of experiences, you probably cannot get that fast in US. I'm, I'm, I'm not undermining US. Of, of course, uh, you could uh, achieve a lot there and people get a lot of uh, chances, but the best place for you to be successful is always home. And, um, and I think if you get the experience and apply it here and adjust it as per the local uh, expectations and environment, uh, then I think uh, things work out the best. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, there was uh, some people wondering uh, why did they come back? Uh, but um, now, so many years after, when I look back, I would say, I think we made the right decision. And I think uh, that that's what matters. It's of like eight, 17 years ago that we came back from US. And later we went to Germany. So I'm not saying that people should not travel and experience new things and work in different environments. But if given an opportunity in, for them to bring this back home, I think that always goes a long way. And what would you uh, advise your daughters, for instance, um, staying here, traveling, gathering experience, also working for a corporate, working for a startup, because you know all the worlds, you have your own experience. How do you, um, yeah, what kind of tips do you give to them? Uh, so it's, uh, they have some way to go uh, when uh, they start thinking about career. Right now, my advice is around education okay. and I stress math heavily with them <laughs> uh, and, and maybe that's why they say they hate math but they're good at math so uh, but I think math is important so I, I try to pass this to them um, in terms of education and in the context of Bulgaria internationally they have their choices uh, they can they can based on what they would like to become they have the, their choices of studying uh, in Bulgaria, in Europe, in US. And uh, there's nothing better than having a choice. I think that's probably the most important thing, having that choice and picking the option that will best get you the, the career that you would like uh, to develop towards. Now, um, I, my, my daughter's already lived in Germany for mm -hmm. many years. Uh, uh, and they relocated back, so they are starting to feel the, the 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 different environments and the change that comes with that, the adaptability side of things, and um, they know that uh, whatever it takes, the world is global, so they will have options and they will try things. Um, now. If I was to advise them on startup versus corporate today, which I have not had that discussion with them yet, but if I was to advise them on this, that's a difficult one, to be honest. Um, I think this, the classical way is probably start at a big corporation, mm -hmm. learn the big, the big uh, corporation way of working, and then transfer that to a small startup. But there's many, so that's the classical way. But there's many examples of people that go directly into a startup and being just as successful. So I don't know whether there's a recipe. Uh, so people should just follow uh, their, uh, you know, their path. Mm. And 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 if 
the path that they take originally is not giving them what they expect uh, in terms of results, they can always change. Do you worry for them or um, do you have experience with uh, the glass ceiling in, for women in technology that uh, we speak a lot about it uh, nowadays? Do you still see it happening? Do you hope that for their generation this won't be an issue anymore? So the glass ceiling is something that um, I guess, especially when you start getting to higher levels, this is when you probably start experiencing because there's less and less women at the high level, executive levels. Mm -hmm. And then you probably need to start adapting your style to uh, from qualities that might have gotten you to that point to qualities that might get you further. I'll give you an example. Um, I mean, generally, women are perceived as more caring, uh, you know, um, compassionate, which are wonderful qualities because this is why women are able to, even on a video camera, catch, they have the intuition to catch a problem and resolve it uh, early in the process. And, you know, this is stereotypes. So of course, people are different, but generally women are more compassionate, more caring. Um, they're great communicators and present, uh, they have great presentation skills. And that's why often they might go into a direction that is in, in a more supporting role. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, those qualities are critical for a successful leadership roles at the top as well. Um, but you would be expected uh, to demonstrate some of the more manly uh, qualities as mm. stereotypes, mm. of course, I'm speaking, like uh, assertiveness and uh, decisiveness and, you know, sometimes to be uh, uh, a little uh, too straight to, to get to your point. That assertiveness thing, usually women achieve it in a different way. So I wouldn't advise for women to... Uh, change their style or not be um, authentic because I think authenticity is one of the most important thing but uh, just adapt to the different environment if you're in a room with uh, uh, men only maybe you need to just adapt a little bit your style and still be unique but get your point through if you have to because I've spoken to different forums, uh, women in tech and women in business. And often women, specifically in tech, they say sometimes we are not heard because we're in a room full of men and their style is different and we, you know, our more delicate uh, approach doesn't get through. Um, usually what I would say is, number one, be self-confident. You demonstrate that confidence. I mean, don't stay in the corner. Demonstrate the confidence. And sometimes it takes you to really push yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, I tell my daughters when I was a little girl, I was a shy girl. I was really, really shy. I would, uh, when um, teachers get me to uh, examine me, I would blush and be all red. And, and, but I was always best in the class and I knew I'm good. And I said, I don't care whether I'm blushing or not. I'll say exactly what I have to say. Uh, and that taught me, while being shy, kind of uh, in today's world, when I'm operating on a business level, uh, when I walk in a room when I don't know anyone, first, I take a gasp, right? I, I'm, you know, I feel, first sense, I feel a little uncomfortable. 
But the second part is I'll go to that room and I'll introduce myself. And then I go and introduce myself and people open up because they like confident people. So push yourself a little bit and what, be demonstrate that confidence. What do you say? What do you tell yourself exactly in the second before you enter the room and, you know, introduce yourself? Do you have some kind of mantra or, you know, a secret sentence that you tell yourself? I can do it. Okay. I always say my, to myself, I can. By the way, uh, I do a, some public speaking and speak in front of a lot of people. Before I go to the stage, I said, I'm good. I can do it. Mm -hmm. And I go. Mm -hmm. uh, because you have that moment of like, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you stop breathing for a second. So yeah. breathe. Like some of the presentation skill training is like breathe breathe and just convince yourself you're this is your spot and you can do that mm -hmm. and then it takes just a few se seconds and you're in the flow you just convince yourself you can do it and it's not easy i know it's easy to say but it's hard to do but we should practice just because it's, it didn't work out the first time because sometimes we can look silly right <laughs> i can do it i can do it and then uh, you you stumble across uh, <laughs> And that's okay, you know, fall down, stand up and, and continue. This can be also kind of, you know, very charming to others because everyone has their weaknesses. And sometimes I actually know that when people see my weaknesses, they kind of, um, you know, feel closer to me. Yeah. This is also a way that I can um, be a, a leader like, okay, you get up and then... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> people make mistakes and just admit that, hey... And, exactly. And yeah. I think this is also very good quality and part of being authentic. There is so much more that I want to ask you, and I have the feeling that we can actually talk for, for long hours, but um, I will have to come to, to the final question. And the final question is a bit philosophical, but we ask it to all our guests because I believe that it reflects a certain mindset um, that um, we are trying to nurture here in our innovation community. And the question is, what do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered for a person that um, uh, stay behind their words. Mm -hmm. So people say, um, uh, I want to be remembered for that. I'm a person that does what it says and says what it does. Oh, I love it. It's great. Thank you. <laughs> In the next episode of the Recursive Podcast, Georgi meets the founder of the cybersecurity company Lock Sentinel and an expert in e-governance, Pujidar Pujanov. Solving a problem that exists out there and that's not yet solved or not yet properly solved, or there are parts of the market that are unserved, uh, combined with uh, the knowledge and the expertise of the founders uh, is kind of a recipe for, for creating a startup. And if you are just as passionate about innovation as we are, Hit subscribe for the Recursive Podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. We're everywhere.